Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? Singing in the Rain, a silent film production company and cast make a difficult transition to sound. Uh, this movie's from 1952. Uh, it was directed by Gene Kelly. And Stanley Donan. And Stanley Donan, but when Gene Kelly did most of it. Um, and it made about $13.9 million worldwide in the box office. Okay, so this is one of my most favorite movies ever. Uh, I've always loved musicals and this is one that I think caught me right when I was about nine or ten I want to say and I just I there's so much the dancing is just amazing and about that age I was doing dance and this was this was just you know I, I was just ripe age to just fall in love with it and then a few years later um, I made friends with a girl who was also interested in dance, and she also loved old movie musicals, and so we would just obsess over these, and we would watch them over and over again, and um, I watched a few new ones because of her, and this has just always been something. I remember when Gene Kelly actually passed away, um, I think it was on 60 Minutes, they actually played the whole Singing in the Rain sequence from this movie, and I was just like... What? I wasn't <laughs> crying, but I was like, oh no, he's gone. I was like, I was very sad. And so this is just one of my movie musical staples. Um, Why haven't you seen this movie? <laughs> uh, I've got a gap in movie musicals, period. First of all, I'm not the biggest fan of musicals. Mm-hmm. And especially... Uh, musicals prior to like 1970. Okay. So anything past Sondheim and Weber, mm-hmm. I can get into. But before that, I have never really been into the music. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's an event in my life that may have precipitated this. We got summer musicals tickets. Um, and we went to go see Oklahoma. And I saw the dream sequence, and I wanted to throw my chair at the stage. That's fair. I hated the fact that there was a 10-minute ballet sequence mm-hmm. in the middle of a theatrical production about cowboys. <laughs> That's not unfair. And... Because... But that... A, a ballet sequ- melody sequence is just a staple of these movies. I know, and it was a staple of even before this, you've got the Rodgers and Hammerstein, which is, I think, the thing that killed me, was like, this well, is... Oklahoma's Rodgers Roger, right. and Hammerstein, yeah. But it's like, this is a common thing in these musicals, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. I wanted to barf at the time. That's fair. It's also normal to want to barf during Oklahoma because it's a horrible musical. I learned some things about that later on that I actually came around on it a bit. Still horrible, but it was how it was. It was how it was originally produced that helped me turn around on it. That's fair. It was. It was very minimal when it was originally produced, and and we're sucker for production information. <laughs> I know. Um, 
I wound up doing research on this at one point in college, but it was a very minimal production mm -hmm. and everything was about the people and color on the stage and that, mm -hmm. and, it, and that factoring in with the fact that it was just around the time of the end of the war mm -hmm. or it was during the war, all of that came together to bring mm -hmm. it to popularity. And I, that I went, Oh wow. Okay. I would love this show if it was done like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would have made sense to me. Yeah. Um, so it was it was very specifically a feel good musical in the way of it trying to hide the fact that we were in the middle of a war. Okay. Yeah. Um so having that I never wanted to watch any of these musicals. Number one, they were long. <laughs> this one not so much. No, it's like 102 minutes. It's not quite 2 hours. Yeah, it's a, it's an hour 45. So it's not as bad as some of them which mm -hmm. go on for two and a half plus. Okay. Um and I you know, for whatever reason I couldn't get into that acting at all. You don't like musicals just as a thing. No, there needs to be a story. If like okay, so we we would argue about this when we were in we were in school. I love musicals, I do. And, but the reason I love musicals is they're usually more technically challenge challenging, and I was always on the tech side. So for me, a uh, musical meant lots of scenery changes and uh, big numbers and lots of cues, and where where a straight play was a lot of sitting around. Yeah, not, that's not that's not always true. There's of course always some exceptions, but that was very typical. And for me, as an actor, director, and playwright, it was always about the words and using those words and constructing them mm -hmm. and the the meaning behind those words, mm -hmm. what the, the intent and acting. Mm -hmm. And so when you didn't have that, um, when you just had to burst into song, and it works in some things, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. There, you know, it sometimes you have to get a proper context to understand what's going on, especially with some of those older musicals. Mm -hmm. But it... it, it to me, a lot of those things were like, and now we're just dancing for no reason. I'm bored. I'm bored because there's no subtext to dig into under this mm -hmm. from my frame of reference. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I had never gone and watched any of the classic movie musicals. Mm -hmm. The other side of that was a lot of what, you know, I watched when I was younger with my family were either you know kids movies or yeah. dumb action movies after a yeah. while mm -hmm. and so it never came around to watch these types of movies and see these were also the types of things that they would play on tv because they were family friendly also fair yep. but i had cable yep and that was the flip side yep i watched mystery science theater instead yep Okay, so let's talk about the cast. There's really only three people we're talking about. Uh, the first one being Gene Kelly, who's the lead. I mean, let's not talk about the dancing yet. Let's just talk okay. about the acting. Okay. Eh? He doesn't make a fool of himself. He's a mixed bag. I mean, mm -hmm. he's he, he can mug, which works for the character. And it... When it comes time for him to actually act, mm -hmm. it feels stiff. He's a little stiff. I think that's how I feel about it. Is you know when he's when he's mugging and playing for the playing for the scene, it works great. And then when it comes time to get down and dirty, it, it's it it doesn't feel quite good. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. 
Uh, I, I don't disagree with any of those statements. All right. Uh, next should be Debbie Reynolds. Who is fantastic. She's amazing. She's the best part of this whole movie. And uh, She was 19 when she was cast. She was 19 and she was not really a dancer. No. Which is also amazing. There are a couple of times where you can kind of see that. Good morning, you can definitely tell. Not in a bad way, but you can tell she's not at the same level she's, as the other two guys. She's the weaker link, but that's yeah. okay. It's not as bad as Frank Sinatra and Anchors Away. That's fair. Which I've watched on YouTube, and you're just like, oh, Frank. Poor Frank, you have to dance next to Gene Kelly. You, and he hates you. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're doing the best you can. You're, you're here because you're a really pretty voice. And you've got a pretty face. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, what about Donald O'Connor? Um, he plays Cosmo. Rubber face. He's got this crazy thing. We can talk about this with the dancing, too. He's got this crazy thing with his legs where they're rubber, too. He's just... He's made of rubber. Yeah. Whole body is. Um, he's amazing. And gets all the gets all the comic lines in yes. it. I don't... You know, it's hard to judge him on anything other than what he gets to do, which mm -hmm. is be the comic relief and... He does great. Do the visual gags. Yeah. It's... He serves his purpose completely. He is very much a dancing clown. But there's some other people to talk about in this cast, too. All right, who else do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about Jean Hagen as Lena Lamont. Oh, yeah. She is, uh... She has the thankless job of being, uh, the silent film star whose voice is so bad, they have to dub her. So I looked at this, though. She had already played, basically, this character mm -hmm. as a brunette mm -hmm. in Adam's Rib the year before. Yes. Which was also a giant hit. Mm-hmm. And, well, it wasn't the year before. I think it was two or three years before this that that came out. It was 1948 or so. Um, so, and it's funny that they do these, they do the song, they do the song where Debbie Reynolds' character is supposed to be yeah. overdubbing over, and then the trivia points out that Gene Hagen actually had a beautiful, deep, rich singing yeah. voice, so she was dubbing over Debbie Reynolds, dubbing, dubbing over, over yeah. Lena Lamont. <laughs> okay, so... For those of you who may not have seen or you've forgotten, the whole point of this movie is that Gene Kelly's character and Gene Hagen's character are silent movie stars. Yes. And they have a fake romance going on off screen. Like, it's fake. It's just for publicity. Um, Gene Kelly's character, Don Lockwood, has a wonderful voice. Lena Lamont sounds like Fran Drescher, <laughs> which back then was not great. And the studio's making a movie, and they decide they're going to turn it into a talking picture. This is right when this changeover. And they realize they cannot sell a movie seriously with Lena Lamont's voice. And then they meet this girl, Kathy Selden. Or is it, yeah, it's Selden, uh, played by Debbie Reynolds. And she has a beautiful singing voice and a beautiful speaking voice. And they decide they're going to have her dub... Lena Lamont. And hijinks. And, and hijinks and the, too. there's lots of hijinks and there's problems and Debbie Reynolds and Gene Kelly's characters fall in love. Yeah. Yeah. And more hijinks and dancing and singing and yeah. it's great. Um, you know, plot wise, I mean, the, so do we, do we want to think, is this the first movie that gave Hollywood the bad rap of the Oscars are going to fall in love with the movie about itself? It didn't win. It didn't win anything. Mm. It was nominated, but it didn't win. I'd be interested to see what did win that year. The only person who won an award was Donald O'Connor. I believe that was a Golden Globe. Okay. Which is rightly deserved. Um, 
Hollywood loves movies that are self-referential. I mean, you can already look at what we've seen this year and know what's you you know what's bait. You know what's going to get picked. It's they almost always pick whatever is shining a light on their craft. Which is going to be weird because the movie this year is The Disaster Artist. And are they going to be willing to give those guys the opportunity? <laughs> I I could see yes. I mean, they, they have gotten better about acknowledging comedy. Yeah. They have. Um, but will they award it? They'll nominate it, but they don't necessarily award it. Yeah, and, that, and it doesn't happen every year. No. So. The, and the, uh, but, you know, last year, the whole thing with La La Land... I, so many people thought that movie was the most amazing thing in the world. I think it's shit. Yeah. Because I think it's trying to be as beautiful as this movie, and it's not even close. Right. Like, the cinematographers for Singing in the Rain, if they saw La La Land, I think they would roll over in their grave. Because not a single frame of any one of those sequences is in focus in La La Land. And that's just, at, at this point in the game, it's not acceptable to me. Want to know a fun fact? Sure. The guy who did the cinematography for Singing in the Rain. He's still alive. Harold Rawson. Uh-huh. No, he died in 1988. Okay. I feel less bad now. Guess what other movie he was the cinematographer for? What? Your favorite movie of all time, The Wizard of Oz. <gasps> that is my favorite movie of all time. We're going to have to discuss that at one point. But that's not my favorite movie musical. No, but seriously, he did both your favorite movie musical and your favorite movie. It's not my favorite movie musical. Oh. This isn't my favorite movie musical. Well, then... It's one on. of my most favorite movies. And it is a movie musical, but it is not my favorite movie musical. Okay. Do you know which one is? No. The one that Gene Kelly directed. Which was? Hello, Dolly! with Barbara Streisand and Walter Matthau. Okay. That is my... And Michael Crawford who was the original Phantom of Phantom of the Opera. Uh, that is my favorite movie musical, which you've never seen and we will have to watch. The other one that I've, I really want to see and it is also a Gene Kelly movie, but it, for a moment, dwarfed Singing in the Rain because it got even more play was an American in Paris. Yes, that won the mov- that won the Oscar the year before. Best Picture, and that's a Vicente Minnelli movie. And I've never seen that either. From what I've heard, that's an incredible movie. I know, I it's... It's one of those things that's just on my list. I would have liked to have seen the musical when it came to town, I think, last year or year before. Um, I don't know. So, yeah. And then there's one little sideline, which is Rita Moreno shows up in this movie. Yep. As Zelda Sanders. Yeah, she's making fun of uh, Claire Bow, I believe. Yep. The It Girl. Yeah. At... Almost all the, almost all the uh, non- main characters mm-hmm. are it's kind of one-offs but they're they're all playing some sort of version of it's actual silent film, film people yeah and 20s and 30s directors well 20s yes so yeah you know i think gene likely is part of that is being distracted by all of the stuff he was dealing with on set so Part of the background on this film is that Gene Kelly was making this movie to piss off the studio. <laughs> that was the most amazing part to me. He wanted to get out of his contract. From MG- this, MGM. This is back in the contract days where you just, you were going to be their slave. And he's and he's dealing with one of the most hardcore guys in the industry, Louis B. Mayer. Yeah, who's a dick. And Gene Kelly, like, talented man, amazing. He's an asshole. 
I know that. He's a horrible person. That's what makes all of this so funny. I don't funny. care. He's amazing. <laughs> that I, you can you you can and usually he's get dead, away with. So we can move on from that. <laughs> you can get away with being an asshole when you're that good. Kinda, yeah. When you're you're a genius at your own craft, you kind of get away with being a dick. So long as you're not like doing illicit, awful no. things to um, people, which, which I don't think he was. He was just a jerk. He's just an asshole, and like it was known that he would just go off on Debbie Reynolds, and then he would you he would yell at Donald when he wanted to yell at Debbie because he didn't want Debbie to break down and start crying, but he needed to yell at somebody. And then Debbie Reynolds saw the finished picture and went, I approve of every single thing he did. Yeah, it, it was, he was, yeah. It was hell, and then coming out of it, not a single person had a complaint. Which yeah. is insane, but mm -hmm. they knew that they had something amazing on their hands. Yeah, it's kind of like, you it's the trial by fire and it worked out well. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's fair. So what you got next? Mm, we got cast. We got to talk about the dancing. Okay. You lead it off because there's so many different dances there's so many different parts well okay well we can kind of talk about the story about this too the dancing is amazing true it's very good there are two sequences that are my absolute favorite okay. well no actually there's three there's there's three that really deserve all the talking about and okay. that's the Moses supposes uh, it is so cute because it's it's a duet between uh, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. Can I say this though? What the song sucks. Oh, it's totally stupid. The other, they, back in the day, they would write the songs first and then make a story to go with the songs. Well, except that this was all of these, almost all of these songs had already been written and had mm -hmm. already been played. Singing in the Rain was actually from the twenties oh, and yeah. had been used in seven movies up to this point. Oh yeah. Um. And that was one of the two songs that they wrote for the film. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other ones was one of the love songs. Yep. But it's a terrible song. And no, I'm just sitting... It's, it's, it's there just to be a tongue twister. That's it. And by the time they get to the actual dance, I'm going, I don't care. The song is stupid. I think it's funny and cute. Give, me, like the, give me the next two. Okay. The next one is Good Morning. Okay. Yes. I'll go with that. It's a beautiful song, and it's an um, it's amazing choreography, and it's super cute, and it's played with all three of the main characters. Um, funny story. Okay. When I was in junior high, the friend I mentioned before, we did we were involved in a speech tournament, and we participated in a lips in the lip sync category. Okay. And she and I did Good Morning, and we won. Yeah. So I yeah because it was just cute. We wanted to do some a classic song, and it was something nobody else was gonna do, and we blew them away. Because we were awesome. Good work. Yep. And of course, the last one is Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly, which okay. is almost all completely improvised and was done in one take, which is, just makes my cinematic heart. Had a fever of 101 and was sick on set. In a wool suit. And they had tarped the entire set down and had dyed the rain. Yeah, they had to put ink in it so the drops would show up. And the day um, they initially tried to start it, all of the sprinklers were going. Yeah, because this is filmed outside. It wasn't filmed on a set. Well, so it was filmed... The other, the problem was it was being filmed during a drought. They were on a set. Oh, yeah. But they were. it was being filmed during a drought. And so... The people in the neighborhood had run their sprinklers. And they so couldn't the, get the water pressure to work. The water pressure work. wasn't working. So they had to stop, wait till everybody was done, and, and wait the, the next, next morning. Yeah. And he got it in one. 
Well, and all they had done was a rough, like, okay, so we're going to start, and then we're going to go here, and then we're going to go that way. So all the dancing you see is just him feeling it. And that is where he shines as a performer, is I, that he is so expressive, and he's he's just amazing. I it's, you, I mean, I, I know I was being cheesy, but, like, I know when I watch that, like, I could probably cry. Yeah, I get <laughs> and it. And I get, I get that goofy grin on my face. <laughs> Like and I don't I don't care like that will always be one of the most amazing pieces of cinema to me. Okay, can I throw out Moses Supposes? Yeah, and fine. instead throw in Make Him Laugh. Make Him Laugh is a beautiful, an amazing performance. Because holy shit, Donald O'Connor! Oh, he's amazing. There is a he reason. Was, he he was also a four pack a day smoker while he did that. The four pack a day smoker and people they, are nuts. And he slept for like, somewhere between three days and a week straight. He stayed in from bed. Doing that. Because if you watch that scene... He does, like, four uh, flips back-to-back. It, back. It's an, it's insane, the amount of effort he puts into that scene. He's he's a he's a clown. And halfway... And that's, and that's meant as a compliment to the art form of being a clown. That's a whole thing. Oh, yes. It's not just, you know... That, yeah, it's a whole I'd thing. I'd say, like, about halfway through, you start to wonder, um, I think this guy's gonna kill himself. How does he not have a concussion? Oh, and that was the other part, was he got done... Yeah. He gets done with it, does the full run, does everything, and Gene goes, that was amazing. The camera was out of aperture. Can you do it again? And he said, sure. And did it again. Because that's what you do. You but, suck it up when you do it again. Holy shit, I couldn't imagine <laughs> having done all of that work and then find out, yeah, the film, the film's no good. Mm -hmm. We can't use that take. <laughs> was that done in one take? I can't. No, no, oh, that's, that's right. not a one take. There are cuts. Okay, I couldn't remember. Uh, just because of the way the thing moves, um, it, we haven't. There's a documentary on our DVD because this is a DVD we actually own. We do. It wasn't actually out of the shrink wrap, but we own it. <laughs> um, and there's a documentary on there, but we haven't watched it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, those those are in there. Now, let's talk maybe about least favorite dance sequence. The Broadway Melody. <laughs> you hate it too. Oh, I, when I watch this, when I, I when I watch this on my own, just for nostalgia reasons, I just fast forward through it. Good job. Uh, it's stupid uh, because it goes on for a good fifteen minutes, and the whole point of that is to showcase Gene Kelly's dancing. And I get that. I do. This is his movie, uh, the, but they spend a sixth of their budget on it. And it doesn't it doesn't move the story along. It's a bit. If it had been only five minutes, sure, all right, I can buy that. Give you an extra solo just for yourself with the dancing. Sounds great. Um, they should have kept it to just the gotta dance portion and then gotten out. Or just gotten rid of it. Like, well, I I know they set it up as a plot point again. They, I, it's fine. It it. <laughs> It needs to be cut down, at the very least. Well, so, maybe that leads into an idea of structure. So, we talked about the fact that this was Gene Kelly's fuck you to MGM. Yep. And it, did ultimately get him out of his contract. It also made the studio a lot of money, so they were happy to give him what he wanted. If it hadn't, he would. they would have been spitefully keeping him. Oh, of like, course. Fuck you. Um, I wonder, is that part of the reason that things feel so haphazard with it? Because there is this element of it feels really slapped together. It does. I, I will admit fully 
and I don't that the story is very unevenly written. The idea is great. It does. It makes perfect yes, sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, and to tell it in this way with songs and dancing, great. Also awesome. Makes total sense. Um, but it's very clunky. You feel like there are pieces missing. Well, and I mean, there is a whole subplot that is missing. The opening, the opening sequence, they move so freaking fast through his yes. career, which is fine. I liked that. Like I do, it, I do too. But that I expected at some point that speed to slow down, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It just keeps pushing as fast as it possibly can. So with this movie, there's a whole subplot that they removed, and the subplot is that Kathy Selden is actually, she, who, she says she hates Don Lockwood because she, she wants real actors. Well, part of the subplot is that she's actually the president of the Don Lockwood fan club. <laughs> and she there's a song that's actually cut where she sings to a billboard of him uh, about her love for him. Um, it's, it's called Lucky Star, I believe is what it's called. Um, that would have given some great... Uh, background because they go from hating each other to being in love in one love one song and a stupid pseudo dance sequence and I I don't buy that. The story's clunky. It's it's not great. Well, and and the reason I mentioned that is you know this is lauded as the greatest musical of all time. It's, it it it's in not. some in some circles it's, it's considered that. Um, well, they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of. For sure, one of top ten. Sure. Yeah, and for some people, top, they're like, no. "This is this is the top musical." No, let me also say, also very wrong. Let me also throw this out there. Gene Kelly's not a good singer. He's decent. He can carry a tune, mm-hmm. but you know, and you know where I noticed this? Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of the song, but it's the song. It's the love song that he's singing to her on the set. Yeah. He can't. He can't sustain a note to save his damn life. He can belt, but he can't take a note and draw it out. Because his voice is wavering all over the place while he's doing that. Yeah. It's not... He's... He does okay. He does okay. He's not as bad as Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia. <laughs> that was that was offensive. Um, And then funny that, you know, Gene Hagen actually sings a lot of those songs. She sang for herself. It's just, it's one of those things. As she does this amazing character voice. Okay. And gives an outstanding comedic performance of that. Oh, she's she's great. Yeah. Where to next? Mm, I don't know. Was there anything you particularly, you know, aside from the ballet, which we both hate. Oh, gosh. The Broadway melody. we, We hate that. That could go. Um, is there anything you particu- else you particularly disliked? Why does every song have to have a tap dance? Every song. Uh, because it's, because it's Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly. It's I get Kelly it. Movie. But there is a, That's there, what you sign up for when you go to this. this sort this of. There is this thing that, uh, hey, maybe, maybe you should just have a song and not throw a dance sequence in every single one of them. I think now if you'd have done this, certain songs would have showcased that for sure. Like, Good Morning. Yeah, well, okay. And Sing It in the Rain. But, you know, we get a couple of these opening numbers. It's like, just sing the damn song well, and get off the stage. It's because it's Gene Kelly. Like, let's look at Wizard of Oz. They don't do that. Every song is in a performance song. There's right. a big production, you know. Over the Rainbow, she's just singing a ballad. So there's no dancing. Um, you know, it's... It, it, it became very telling once I read that piece of trivia. Yeah. That this was... 
this was all his effort to give a middle finger to MGM. Spending more money. And, and for him, it's just, y'all need to see how amazing I am. It was partly that, but it was, I think it was partly like, um, screw you. If, I, if you're going to make me do this movie on contract, it's mm-hmm. going to be about me. Yeah. And then noticing that, now that I think back through these scenes, I'm like, okay, every single scene points to you. Mm-hmm. Which, at some point, gets exhausting to have to pay attention to. Because it's just like, can we focus on some of the other stuff going on? Because it's pretty yeah. cool, too. I think I'm a sucker for a story. Yeah. And I love it when we get a chance to look at everything involved in the story. Yeah. So when you start focusing on this one person the entire time, and all the peripheral stuff gets shoved to the side, I I start to tune out. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the biggest complaint I have with it. Okay. What you got? Uh, I was just looking at something about Fred Astaire. So, those are the two big names in dancing at this time. It was Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. They're very different. Um, Fred Astaire is very light. And he's very agile. And he just kind of glides on top of his feet. Whereas Gene Kelly is very athletic. Yes. It's very powerful. He's no less graceful but there's more of a masculine quality to the way he, that he dances. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen nearly any Fred Astaire. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to fix that. Um, the thing I always remember from Gene Kelly is the mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry cartoon. Mm-hmm. When we're just tap dancing with yeah. them. And that that informs me. But I do, I mean, I think just maybe bits and pieces I've seen of Fred Astaire mm-hmm. dancing. That's very true. He's got a refined almost a ballroom style in some ways yes even though he's doing show dancing correct and it, and you're right it's it's about grace grace and fluidity versus just raw power yes and and skill because that's the other side of gene kelly is it's not just power it's also you know how fast he can mm-hmm. do it where what i will say is singing in the rain actually diminishes that to a yes. lovely degree it's it's more it's it's less of the pure power and more just uh about his movement. Yep. Uh yeah. You said something interesting to me about after watching this movie. Which is what? You said now I understand why you like those step up movies. Yeah. It this is you know, for a long time one of the big things you talked about was like, I love step up. I love stick it. I love anything to watch these things. And after I watched this and just seeing the grin on your face, I went, uh-huh, yeah, now I get it. Now I get why you like watching Channing Tatum dance in those movies. It's not just because he has a nice six-pack. He, he's very pretty, but... <laughs> the reason you like watching it is to watch that skill. I like the dancing. That's really, truly my first preference. Heck, that's why you watch Magic Mike. True. <laughs> Plus the <laughs> plus the nude dudes who are pretty. I'm not gonna lie, totally a part of it. Um, Magic Mike Two sucks. Let's just be clear. Okay. Uh, and it's also kind of creepy too. Um, but the thing that was funny is after you said that, it really realized how much why I like Channing Tatum as much as I do because he has that same masculine athletic quality. While still being extremely sexy. Any man who can dance is sexy. It's just a fact. 
And Channing Tatum can do the hip hop style. He can do ballroom. And he learned to do the more Gene Kelly style to do um, Hail Caesar. And he did an amazing job. And then you add on top of it the fact that he's a very funny dude. We've, he's been wonderful in all of his movies. So he's so much fun to watch. Yeah. And you know he's not a dick. So that helps. I also think back to, not just him, I think back to, and if you haven't seen this, maybe we'll even put it in the show notes, mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt on Saturday Night Live doing Make Him Laugh. Oh yeah, he did it. He does Not it. the whole thing. But he, but he, he does, does he a good chunk of that dance on the SNL stage in as his monologue, and it's insane. <laughs> And we're super excited. Okay, you have to, okay. Look it up right now. Are they still tied to the movie? They're they're doing. Go ahead and explain. They're, they're doing Guys and Dolls on film. They did it years ago. They're going to do it again. And last time we checked, it was Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon-Levitt were going to play the leads. And we love both of those guys. They're adorable and they're they're great. They and don't we'll they don't have a good amount of information. It's still in development. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're still tied to it. That makes me sad. Um, Maybe it'll come around. We'll see. I mean, it's entirely... Go it's in, ser- search Channing Tatum and then go look at his upcoming projects. Well, I, I some, don't think it's going to work on no, this. Sometimes it, it flips that way. You're going to need to do it. You'll get a better result. Okay. I'll do it. Technology is hard, guys. It is. I want to know everything now. Okay. No, he's not there anymore. It's not on there. Okay. I, th- I wouldn't be shocked. They've been talking about this for two or three years yeah and so it's entirely likely that they slated their schedules now and we're like yeah we can't do it anymore well they've decided somebody else needs to do it maybe they want to skew a little bit younger now how do you skew younger on guys and dolls uh because those guys are in their mid 30s no i get it i'm my thing is guys and dolls isn't gonna get a young audience anyway (laughs) what crack are you smoking (laughs) sorry did you miss the whole glee phenomenon Gosh. Yeah. Um, no, what I'm saying is they may want to get slightly younger actors more in the 25-year-old range who are currently hot to play those roles. Whatever. I don't agree because I want to see Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon-Levitt do it, but that's different. Lame. That's, that's a different thing to complain about. <laughs> okay. So if you had to rate it, what'd you give it? Scale of one to five. Mm. Let's start with you, because I think we're going to get an idea of what you've got. And I still need to think about my answer to that. Yeah, well, you, <laughs> you should have an answer to that. No, I don't. i got to think about it. Um, Go. I'm, I would say a four, Okay. which is the highest I've rated anything. Uh, I will watch this over and over again. I still love it. Uh, the only reason it's not more closer to a five is because the story and the ballet sequence, the, those don't need to be there, and it could be tighter. But... I'm always gonna love, love singing in the rain. I'm just am. And just, it's, it's, okay, four. it's a four for me. I'm gonna put it at a three. Okay, that's fair. It's a it's a classic movie, mm-hmm. and it is a movie that everybody should see. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, as I'm watching this, I don't know if I'd seen it with you at some point or if I just watched it on TV. I about halfway through this movie is when I went, okay, I've never seen this. Okay. I, I, at some point, I have seen the first half of this movie. Okay. Don't know how that happened, but I was like, oh, I, I remember this. I, I remember this I was probably watching it at some point. There's also, they've shown 8,000 clips, so I'm sure I've seen it somewhere. Um, it's 
there are moments of pure brilliance. Mm-hmm. To me, there's a lot of drudgery, though. There is. And in an unnecessary drudgery. I think there's a lot of movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s mm-hmm. that, and, and even later when we watch some, like, early 70s late 60s movies there's a whole bunch of drudgery in there yeah but there's times where that's effective and purposeful yes and i'm okay with that when Mm -hmm. i know this is a slow movie yeah versus when it's when it's just a byproduct of how this was getting done Mm -hmm. and i think that's the problem i've got with this one is just it feels like there's a whole bunch of unnecessary fat that they could have used to shore up other subplots mm-hmm. or explore some of the peripheral characters. And I no, think I it, it gets infected by that that arrogance of Gene Kelly. Oh, sure. I, I don't disagree on any of so, But for me, it's four. Yeah. And also, I just don't have that same desire to watch people dance constantly that you do. After yeah. a while, I'm like, okay, cool. Can we just wrap it up? <laughs> That's fair. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so what are we watching next time? We're watching Goodfellas. Ooh, another—that's uh, a long one, though, right? I, how, how, how? We'll answer that then. But seriously, you hadn't seen Goonies. I hadn't seen Goodfellas till I was in college. Let's be very fair. I Most people seen, talk about it all the time. Yeah, I hadn't seen Godfather until <laughs> we watched it together. Oh, that one was bad. It, it was. I knew that was bad. I will. I will say Goodfellas. Godfather is a movie that you sh- there is no reasonable explanation why you shouldn't have watched it. Goodfellas makes a little more sense. Goodfellas, I think, is like a rite of passage for college-age young men. Not for women. But it is a rite of passage movie for guys in college. I don't know why. For girls, it's The Notebook. <laughs> Which is funny, because these are very different movies. Um, it is long. It is too... It is two hours and 30 minutes, and I swear to God, I I thought it was much longer than that. Yeah, um, we can do that. However, I will also say that it is... Um, the thinker? Oh, no. Oh. It's Marty Scorsese at his Marty scorsese I do like Marty Scorsese. Um, and I, I'll be fair, as many people have said, this is the movie that should have won in Best Picture. Well, he had to wait till Departed. There were a bunch of stuff. This is... This is one of the movies that was criminally lost out because it lost to Dances with Wolves. Oh fuck! And so, um, that that's one of garbage. That's one of the like criminal things about this movie is it's ever tied to that decision. Okay. Um, with Kevin Costner. Hey, you know what? They're in good company. Saving Private Ryan lost to Shakespeare in Love. But you know, so we watched we watched The Godfather. Yeah. And that's that's Coppola. That's a very it's a very different style. I'll just put to imagine the Godfather, but it feels like it's realistic, not as stylized. Okay, not as stylized because the Godfather was pretty realistic. Yeah, but not as it felt pretty realistic. Not as slow. Okay, and not as styled up. That's fair. It's more brutal. It's grittier. It's it's grittier. Okay. It's more brutal. It's more visceral. Okay. And based on a true story. Ooh, even better. Which we can talk about too. All right, let's go watch that. All right. All 
Alrighty, we just saw Battle of the Sexes, the true story of the 1973 tennis match between world number one Billie Jean King and ex-champ and serial hustler Bobby Riggs. Surprisingly <sighs> better than I expected. Me too. Um, some of that, some of that was trailer anxiety. I'll admit. Yeah, the, I mean, the trailer really tried to sell it, and you know, sometimes when they do that, you're just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it was great. Uh, this movie stars Emma Stone and Steve Carell as Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. And then we've got uh, Andrea Risenborough as Marilyn Barnett. She plays uh, Billie Jean's uh, hairdresser and lover. Yep. Which we're just going to talk about the whole movie. This is all historical stuff for the most part. So every, so you should you should know who won the battle of the sexes. I'm not I'm not worrying about spoilers. <laughs> us anything. revealing us revealing plot points from the movie are not going to ruin the experience of you seeing it. No, uh, there's also Natalie Morales, who you might remember from like Parks and Rec, uh, and Bill Pullman, and Alan Cumming, and Elizabeth Shue are in here. Oh, also Fred Armisen. Mm-hmm. So we got the cast. Let's see. I have, no, that just the directors. Out. The directors too are worth mentioning: Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who did Little Miss Sunshine. Oh yes, which Steve Carell was in. And yeah, that was his. That was his first dramatic turn on screen, which he got an Oscar nomination for. Um, well, well earned as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was one. Of them. It was a really great one that we saw. Uh. And then Simon Beaufort is a fairly well-known writer. Wrote Slumdog Millionaire. He's written a bunch for Danny Boyle recently. Ah. Uh, 127 hours. He also did Catching Fire. I'm just scrolling through here with him. That was a Hunger Games movie. Yes. Um, that was good. But yeah, he did. His big thing was Slumdog Millionaire in 127 hours. Okay. With, uh, and wrote the Full Monty. Oh, okay. So had a little had a little background there. Um, so I mean, let's start with when we saw the trailer for this. We expected this as a pure Oscar bait movie, right? Yes, and I would still say it's Oscar bait, but given the fact that Emma Stone won this last year for La La Land, I don't see her getting nominated for this. I see her getting nominated. I don't think so. She's good, but she's not doing anything special. She's playing real. She's not doing anything special. Doesn't have to be special. <laughs> and she, okay, so if you read some of the trivia, it was her, and then she had to drop out because she was doing something else, and Brie Larson was going to be in it. Interesting. Also a great choice. And yeah. then uh, Brie Larson had to run out because they hadn't gotten started yet, and so then M. Stone took it back. So let's let's start with her, right? She's okay. the center of this movie. The whole thing's yep. about her. I think she's great. She's good. She's fine. I think she's better than fine. Okay. I mean, I think... Okay, let's... Okay. Because I don't like La La Land. We've established that. <laughs> um, sh I think she does a better job here than she did in La La Land. Oh, absolutely. Okay. But to my mind, what's what's so great about her, and I think is so great about this movie, mm -hmm. is it's it's very just true and real. Um, that doesn't always happen. It, when when you when I saw this Oscar bait type movie, mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be very block character, not stereotypical, but um, archetypal. That yeah. you were just going to set up this feminist lesbian woman and this chauvinist man, and mm -hmm. you were just going to make it the archetype and maybe mess around with the story there. That's how they set it up. Yes. And it wasn't that at all. They played so many different angles of Billie Jean's life, mm -hmm. and throughout it, Emma's just grounded as an actress. Well, okay. 
I think that speaks a lot to the writing. That's true, too. Now, we don't get anything else of her life other than this. Yeah, we really don't. We're taking a snapshot of one moment. We get Billie Jean leaving the United States Tennis League. Lawn Um, Tennis Association. USLTA. Yeah. I don't don't know that much about it. It doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) She left because the head said said he wasn't going to pay the he was going to pay the women eight times less than the men yep and she's all right we're all going to strike and he said i don't think you're gonna do it so they did it for one dollar they all signed a new contract and they started their own with virginia slims they started the wta which i believe still exists to this day i'm not sure um so they went off and because uh billy jean's thing was we sell the same amount of tickets yep we're you're making the same amount of money off of us as you're making off of the men we should be, we should, the prize money should be the same. Every argument that the male figures in the sports made, in the sport made, were, were able to be toppled until you got to, you're just not, you're, you're not as good. You're not, you know, men are superior. It's really what it came down to. Yeah. She wasn't going to accept that, um, which, you know, is yay you, go you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do that. And then we, so we see that happening and we see her meet this hairdresser who she kind of finally admits and gives into the fact that she is in fact gay. She was married during this period of her life. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I mean, it's, it's no secret now. They've sent, they divorced. Um, They had an amicable divorce and she's, uh, she has a partner now and she's in fact, her and her partner are the godparents to her ex-husband and his new wife's children. Yeah. So, that's awesome. Um, so, we see that part of Billie Jean's life. And that relationship to you is, like, one of the most interesting parts about the movie. Uh, yes, the relationship with the husband. Um, it would have been really easy to make him appear... <sighs> Bitter? Bitter, stupid, um, just completely aloof, and also like he's some hot shot because his wife is a hot shot. Right. But what they did instead was they had a man who, who he is he his wife was the breadwinner, and he was kind of like her agent. He was in charge of all her contracts and stuff, um, and that he handled all those things. Not that you know she would she didn't know what was going on, um, but he knew. That he was second to tennis. He was not important um, compared to tennis. Like, he understood that and he respected that. And he, he, you could know, I felt like you knew he was attracted to her love and her drive for this sport. Um, so I thought that was really generous because usually that character is painted negatively. Yeah. And when he realizes what's going on with the hairdresser, he's upset and he's hurt. Um, and he has a conversation with the hairdresser telling her, we're second. We, we don't matter. And that was, re- it was really more of a warning. It's like, don't ever think that you're more important than tennis because you're not. Um, and, and so I thought, that, I thought that was really real. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you have that understanding with somebody in a relationship and then somebody else comes along, I can see that, you know, he, I mean, he's hurt clearly. Um, but... Not not in a mean, hateful way. No, it's in a in a very believable way. Well, and I think it also came from a place of he knew this was going to hurt her game. Yeah, and that that is not acceptable to her. 
So just to throw out there, I was looking this up. The WTA is actually the governing body for women in tennis today. Awesome. It is the international body. The ATP, American Tennis Professionals, is the the men's group. But the WTA governs all the stuff Mm -hmm. for women in the sport. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Billie Jean not only got that started, and they have their own representative body for their sports, but they did get to, along with fights by people like Serena Williams, Mm -hmm. get to equal pay in the Opens. They've had to consistently fight for that. But that, that was only recently where all five prizes were the same. All the Grand across. Slam prizes. All the Grand Slam prizes were the same, regardless of gender, which is what it should be. Hello. Um, it, took, it took a lot. And it, there was recently an interview, I think it was an older interview with Billie Jean King on Fresh Air. Uh, so go take, go take a listen. Because that was interesting because she talks to that point and she talks a little bit about um, this affair that she had um, in Margot Court, or Margaret Court, mm-hmm. who was her rival who she did not get along with. Um, so that's all great. Um, but I just, I, I feel like every actor did this, but Emma Stone especially, and it's a, it's a testament because of the flip that La La Land was, there's a realness in the film. Sure. It's very, it's very just plain and well, spoken. I, I think the person who had the harder job of that was Steve Carell. Yes. Um, he plays Bobby Riggs, who is a complete chauvinist pig. He just is. But he was playing a character. He's a hustler. He's got a gambling addiction. That's a guy who's just used to getting, you know, making people laugh, making money off of it. Um, you know, good tennis player, of course. I mean, An amazing tennis player. He was like, great. Because at this point, he's he's completely washed, or he's sort of washed up, quote-unquote, except he's not. He's not. He's, he's still amazing, but nobody will pay him but to he's, play. He's 55. Yeah. No, Nobody's going to play a 55-year-old. So he's hustling with his friends for entertainment. Um, his wife hates this. Um, you know, he's supposed to be going to Gamblers Anonymous. And what I like about the way Steve Carell played it is that this isn't a guy who wants to hustle. He's a guy, it really, it's, he's a comedian and he needs the applause. And I think he, I, this is, this is me just reading into it. I think when he had tennis, he had something that he got applause for and he's always a jokester. And as tennis went away, the joking took over Well, and the gambling was just kind of a part of it. I don't think he was a jokester. Um, I, from what from indications and and this is just like reading a tiny bit of his history mm-hmm. it was far more that he was a beloved tennis champion because he I don't think he was anything but dead serious on the court he was insanely good I mean he was one of the best mm-hmm. American he was one of the best American tennis players of all time one of the best male tennis players of his generation yeah so I think it was more that he he fell back to this sense of humor he probably had mm-hmm. but it was about it was about the glory mm-hmm. he lost all of the glory of what he had then yeah and what he sees is an opportunity i mean clearly what he sees is an opportunity to make the biggest hustle he can possibly make yeah um, and then leans into a latent he's 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 just like every other male where they're just kind of latently chauvinist mm-hmm but he just leans into it and just shoves it all out in the open. Because as most people recognized, and Billy Jean even recognized, he didn't believe half the shit he said. <laughs> no, he he just leaned into it to make a joke. And, and to get ridic- publicity. And of course. Um, that's one thing he was really good at. Um, and made it into one of the biggest tennis events of all time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I remember studying this in school, like hearing all about it. Yeah. 
several times. Uh, but, I mean, it was great. Billie Jean won. Yep. Which was, a, you know, a great, great win for women across the board. Because she, like, she didn't just win. She killed him. Yes. Um, uh, badly. Wore him down completely. Yeah. And... I was yeah. 1973 at that, so mm. it's even before the, we're, America was still in the midst of the women's liber- liberation stuff. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I it what's really neat to see is all these women fighting, and it's like, oh, this is great. We've come a long way. We still have a really long fucking way to go because, especially with our current climate, all the things that these men are saying about women, it's like, oh. Been hearing a lot about that recently too. That's great. Everything old come becomes new again. So yeah, so that was a little depressing for me on that part. But it's it's a it's a good movie. Good performances. I love <laughs> Sarah Silverman. I love her. I'm not a big fan of her comedy, but I love her whenever she's acting. She's Gladys Heldman. She's Billie she, Jean's she, agent, and she's in charge of the Virginia Slims uh, tournament. I mean, her first. She's just hilarious. She's like, "What? You don't like me because I'm a woman or because I'm a Jew? You, know, you know you're not allowed in here because I'm a woman or because I'm a Jew." I was like, "Well, we got it." Um, I love her. Low grade, uh, low grade for supporting actress. Can I mention Elizabeth Shue for that? She might get a nomination for no, this movie. No, she won't. She's no. really good, though. She's good, and you know what? It took me a good halfway through the movie to realize who that was. I didn't realize at first either. Just, she's, Elizabeth Shue is in everything. Uh, she's awesome. Uh, she will always be from Adventures in Babysitting, mm-hmm. which I know you need to see. Yes. Um, but it's just, uh, it just took me a while to realize, oh, that's Elizabeth Shue. She plays Bobby Riggs' wife. Uh, she, she did a good job. Um, but I don't. I don't think any. I don't think anything. If someone's getting a supporting nomination here, it's going to be Sarah Silverman. Yeah, there's a little more meat there. Um, I mean, Natalie Morales does a she does did a great. fun job as Rosie Casals. Yeah, she's a she's a she's a good ballbuster. She's a firebrand. <laughs> I like. She's a great actress. I hope to see more of her. We can't not mention Alan Cumming. Her fairy godmother. <laughs> He's uh, a little on the nose as a character, but oh, still, it's just, he's just so damn charming. He's in charge of the tennis wardrobe that's designed for each of the players, and then he goes on tour with them to maintain their, their outfits. Or, um, I don't really want to say costumes, but it's it's their uniforms. Yeah. Um, and so he, he has a lot of knowing moments about Billie Jean, which seem a little... Seem a little on the nose, uh, yeah. But we don't. I don't know anything about that person in real life, and it's possible that he was that way. I don't care. It's Alan Cummings. I love him anytime I see him. I was. I, I basically was like, unless that is part of the true story, that's maybe the one weak point in the writing. It's fair. Um, because the rest of it is just it. It's such a a seamless. Uh, the the writing as we talked about it's just a seamless real movie mm-hmm. I think that's what's so great about it what's so wonderful is you when you just kind of fall into it and enjoy uh-huh. it and you don't really worry about yeah and, missing any action and uh, yeah it's two hours long but it didn't really feel that way nope so what would you rate this would I rate this um I'd give it a three and a half. Me too. I'm close to give it a. I, I, I'd be close to give it a four. Um, it's just it. 
you know, it was. I was expecting just a pure Oscar bait biopic, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that. No, it, it was. Wasn't. It was definitely above that. It still didn't. It wasn't like transformative in any way. No. Um, but I love that they took this story that everybody knew and just tried to make it as grounded and real as possible. I guess it's, I guess it's more con. They they really did a great job giving both people some more color, some more character. Absolutely. Uh, she isn't just a, a quote-unquote hero, which she is to many people to this day. Um, and he isn't just a clown. Yeah. A chauvinist clown. Um, there's some other stuff there. There was so, a lot of depth. There was a lot of depth to both of those people, and I don't think it gets talked about very often. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I'd give it a three five. It's it's a solid movie. Good performances. I pro- I, I'm probably not gonna watch it again. No, I'm, um, glad, I'm really glad I saw it. You know, and if it's getting if it's getting any Oscar, Oscar nominations, if it's getting any Oscar nominations, it's definitely getting one for. Um, original or adapted. I don't know if it's an adaptation or not, but it's definitely getting something for screenplay. Probably. Because that's that's the the shining thing out of the yeah. whole movie. And then I would I would say Dark Horse a nomination for Emma Stone on it. Okay. We we're just starting Oscar season. Oh yeah. Uh there's a that, lot to come. That'll be a whole thing that we we touch on when we get to next year when nominations come out. We're going to be keeping an eye on it for sure. Yeah, we're going to try and see everything that we can can reasonably predict to be Oscar contenders um, that we knew this one was. It's got all the right people. So, yeah. and it's and it's a biopic. Those are always Oscar bait. But there's so much to come out. In the next few months, it's it's kind of insane. The, it's weird that this summer didn't feel very loaded up with movies, but the back half of the the back end of the year is just going to be insane with the amount of movies that are coming out. Yeah, I need to get that. Yeah, we're gonna have to do more twofers. It's yeah, gonna we, be a lot. <laughs> we saw this after we watched Kingsman. Like we literally went to the movies, saw Kingsman. We walked out of our theater. We waited in the lobby for about thirty minutes and went and sat back down in a different theater. Yep, there's going to be a lot of that to to stay on top of these. Yeah, especially through December, we're we're going to be doing a lot of twofers. Alamo is going to get a lot of our money. We love you, Alamo Draft House. We love you so much. Yes, we do. All right. We need to get some variations on your menu, though. (laughs) (laughs) I love your pepperoni pizza. I can't eat it anymore. That's that's on me. <laughs> that's on me. I need a pasta dish. Can we do that, please? <laughs> Maybe when there's an Italian movie. Yes, let's just do some simple spaghetti or some uh, Alfredo. Just they need something like that's the one thing I feel like that's really missing from their menu. Really, just talk about the Alamo Draft House's menu. We're there enough. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys. We'll see you. <laughs> Bye. this episode please take a moment to review and rate us on itunes and for questions and comments drop us an email at macintosh and mod at gmail.com